Good morning. We are glad you're here today. It's a beautiful day. We are thankful for the opportunity to be together. If you're visiting, as always, we invite you to come back. We are so grateful that you've chosen to come today. We hope and pray that our time together will benefit you. We are here as a family, and we are grateful for the opportunity to worship God in spirit and in truth. I invite you to turn with me to the book of Colossians today, Colossians chapter 3. In our study today, we're going to be talking about the theme, it's a mind thing. Christianity involves the mind. Jesus said on one occasion, as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Why are you a Christian? What was it that brought you to a point of faith in Christ whereby you acted upon that faith? Why are you here today? What's so special in your life about the first day of the week? Are you here today because you want to be here or because you feel like you have to be here? Are you here today because your parents said you have to be here? Hopefully and prayerfully, we reach a point in life, in our spiritual life, where we want to be here on the first day of the week. And that we understand with clarity what it means to be a Christian, a child of God. So it's a mind thing. Everything that we're talking about today involves the mind. As we look at Colossians chapter 3, I want to begin by first of all talking about the position of a believer. Paul here makes reference to our position in Christ Jesus. Our position in Christ is far different from those who are outside Christ. So with that in mind, listen to what Paul said beginning in verse 1. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. When the Apostle Paul talks about those who have been raised with Christ, the reference here has to do with our becoming a child of God. And so what about our deliverance from sin? Well, there are a couple of things that happen. First, when we obey the gospel, we enjoy pardon through Christ Jesus. Now, you remember back in Colossians chapter 2, in verse 11, Paul talks about the circumcision made without hands in the putting off of the sins of the body by the circumcision of Christ. Under the Old Testament, circumcision involved the cutting away of skin. Spiritually speaking, what Paul is saying is that when we become a child of God, our sins are, if you please, surgically cut away, removed from us. And so in verse 12, he would go on to say that we're buried with Christ in baptism. We have been raised through faith in the operation of God. And so there is a 
spiritual operation that occurs, isn't there? When we become a child of God to understand that we enjoy, as Paul said in Colossians 1 verse 14, redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, and to understand that all of our sins, any of our sins, have been washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ. Because Paul makes it abundantly clear in Colossians 1 that we enjoy peace through the blood of His cross. And so when John said in Revelation chapter 1 at verse 5, unto Him who loved us and washed us from our sins, he's talking about the benefits and the blessings associated with that blood, which brings about pardon from sin, forgiveness, redemption. And so we're pardoned through Christ. But not only do we enjoy pardon, but Paul said we enjoy peace. In Colossians 3 verse 15, Paul talks about allowing the peace of God to rule in our hearts. He said, whereby you were called in one body. Now Paul, in writing to the church at Rome, said that we have been justified by faith. As a result of that, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so there is this peace that passes all understanding. We are blessed in Christ, aren't we? And Paul's saying here that through Jesus Christ, we have enjoyed deliverance from sin. Now you recall during the earthly ministry of Jesus that He said on one occasion, if the Son makes you free, you're free indeed. That is, you're free from sin and the consequences of that being death. Romans 6 verse 23. There's a second thought. First, there's the idea of deliverance from sin, but then death to sin. When you became a child of God, when we decided to, to put Christ on in baptism, the Bible says that we were delivered out of the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom of God's dear Son. That's found in verse 13 of chapter 1. So there is a translation that takes place. Now note what Paul said. We are delivered out of the sphere known as the world. The world is under the control of the devil. Matter of fact, Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, that the devil is the God of this world, the God of this age. And so you're no longer identified as a child of the devil, but rather you have become a child of the living God. And there is this translation that takes place and note, if you would, what Paul says. Not only is there a translation, but there is to be the transformation in our lives. So, with that in mind, look now in verse 5. One of the things that you have to understand is, when we come to Christ, our baptism into Christ is preceded by repentance, isn't it? You remember, for example, on Pentecost Day when Peter said, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. So there is this death. That death involves a life of sin, a life of death. And so, note if you would, verse 5, Therefore put to death your members which are upon the earth. Now listen to what he said fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. 
For which things sake comes the wrath of God on the sons of disobedience, wherein you once walked when you lived in them. Paul here talking about the fact that at one point in time, those who were living in Colossae, that had obeyed the gospel, they had repented of sin, they had died to the love and the practice of sin, they had been translated into the kingdom of God, and there was to be a transformation. Why? Because they belonged to the Lord. They were not to continue in their previous lifestyle. And Paul's saying that that way of life has to be put to death. You've got to give it up. And then he goes on to say, Put off also all of these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Then he said, Lie not one to another, seeing you put to death the old man with his deeds. Now listen, Paul here covered a lot of ground, didn't he? And he's saying that as a child of God, if you continue to live in these sins, the wrath of God awaits you. And so to be clear, to be unmistakable, to understand that we are to be transformed people. Now Paul said that the way that we do that is by the renewing of the mind. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Again, it's a mind thing. You've got to be willing to put to death that old way of life. Now listen to what Paul said. He said, You have put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created you. And then verse 11, Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised. Barbarian, that is, in that day and time, those who did not speak the Grecian language, they were viewed as barbarians. Scythian. This has to do with people who were considered to be, by many, savages. We've got a lot of folks like that today, don't we? They're wild. They're brutal. They treat one another in a savage way. And then he said, neither slave nor free, but Christ is all and in you all. Now look at verse 12. Therefore, that is, in light of the fact that you belong to God, and you have put to death this old way of life, that old character is to be replaced by a new character. Verse 12, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another, and Paul said, if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, you must also do. Note if you would, that's a command, isn't it? That our forgiveness is contingent on our willingness to forgive others. Sometimes folks hold grudges and they can't let the past go. What Paul's saying is, you're a child of God. You can't live like that any longer. And then he said, let the peace of God or rather, verse 14, but above all these things put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And then, verse 15, let the peace of God rule in your heart, to which you were also called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So, 
if we allow the Word of God to saturate our mind, if we fill our lives with God's Word, then we're going to be able to put on the characteristics that Paul talks about in Colossians chapter 3. And the goal is to purge that old way of life, to die to that old way of life. Now, there's a second thing I want to talk about. First, we think about our position as a believer in Christ. Secondly, our priority as a believer in Christ. Paul here emphasizes that because we're children of God, there has to be some priorities. We've got to prioritize life and understand, okay, what's really important. Again, it goes back to a mind thing. So he's going to first of all address what I would consider to be some challenges or conflicts that we face in Christ Jesus. Listen to him in verse 2. Set your mind on things above and not on things which are upon this earth. So what then is the conflict or the challenge? The challenge is to focus your mind on things which are spiritual in nature, which are above, as Paul would say in verse 1, and not be consumed by the material, the carnal, the worldly. Now you think about what a challenge that is. We are to be spiritually minded people, aren't we? The problem, however, is that sometimes we allow the carnal, the material, to encroach upon the spiritual. And so we give up ground in our lives. That's why Paul said in Ephesians 4, verse 27, neither give place to the devil. Let me just talk for a minute or two about this conflict that we all face. Just because you're a child of God does not mean that you're not going to be faced with the world. So to understand, first and foremost, the world has her prince. Jesus, in John chapter 12, verse 31, talked about the prince of this world or the ruler of this world. That's the devil. In Ephesians 2, 2, Paul identified him as the prince of the power of the air. I mentioned he's the God of this age, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. Don't think for a minute the devil is not on your heels and doing everything he can to destroy your faith in Almighty God. Don't think for a minute the devil is not trying to entice you and ultimately gain control of your mind. Again, it's a mind thing. And if you allow the devil to gain inroads in your life, let me tell you what, he will take absolute full control. You've got to decide. Now listen to what Peter said. Peter said, be sober, be vigilant. Your adversary the devil walks about as a roaring lion. Listen to him. Seeking whom he may devour. Has the devil made inroads in your life? The things that we talked about just a moment ago, that old way of life. Are you still living like the world? Are you living like people in the world? If you are, you've got a serious problem. You need to understand that. The world has her prince, and the world has her pull. Again, 
do not think for a minute that the devil is not doing everything he can to bait and hook you in this life. James in chapter 1 said, Let no man say when he is tempted, I've been tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, but every man is tempted by his own lust. And lust, when it's conceived, brings forth sin. Sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. The devil is constantly walking about. And he's laying traps, isn't he? You ever put out a mouse trap? And you bait it with cheese or peanut butter or something? And the intent is to catch that little critter. Well, what the devil is doing is he's trying to bait you. And if you take the bait, let me tell you what, he has you. Now listen to what John said in 1 John chapter 2. Love not the world, neither the things which are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, are not of the Father, but are of the world. And John said, the world passes away and the lust thereof. But he who does the will of God abides forever. So what about you today? Is the world pulling at you? Maybe I ought to ask this question. Have you given in to the pull of the world? It is very easy to get sucked into the world. And before you know it, you're talking like the world, you're dressing like the world, you're acting like the world. Let's just be honest. If that's the case, you're in the world, aren't you? Now, James talks about the danger of friendship with the world. He said, that's enmity with God. John talks about the love of the world. Once you make friends with the world, ultimately it leads to falling in love with the world. And don't tell me that the world doesn't offer a lot of pleasures. A lot of people today, they'll tell you right up front, I'm not interested in living the Christian life because I don't want to give up what I enjoy in life. Well, it's your that's your decision. That's their decision. But if we want to come to Christ and live according to His precepts and His will, then we've got to make Him the Lord of our life. That means He's to be the one who reigns and rules in life, isn't He? So you've got the prince of this world, the pull of the world, and then the people of the world. The world has her people. Now, you might be a child of God, but if you're back in the world, let me tell you what, you are a part of the devil's people again. You're not living for God anymore. If you're out here living like the world lives and talking like the world talks and doing as the world does, then again, you're in the world. Now, Jesus said in John chapter 7, verse 7, The world cannot hate you, but it hates me. Because I testify of it, that its deeds are evil. When you draw that line in the sand and say, I'm going to live a Christian life, I'm going to be salt and light in this world, then you've got to understand that you automatically put yourselves at odds with a lot of folks in the world today. 
And we're living in a climate today where Christianity is an afterthought in the minds of many people. There are a lot of people in our world today, quite frankly, they have no use for Christianity, for God, for Christ, for His Word. People in this world do not appreciate God's people. It's easier to fall in line with the world than it is to live a Christian life. Why? Because there's no opposition to that, is there? When you become a child of God, you are in conflict with the world. That's what it's all about. It's called spiritual warfare. That's what we're faced with. It's not a carnal world. Not carnal warfare, rather. But it is spiritual warfare. And then, what about the philosophy of the world? Could I ask you, how would you sum up your life? If somebody were to ask you to define, in maybe a sentence or two, what your life's all about, what would you say? What is your philosophy of life? I'll tell you what the world's philosophy is. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul is making a case for the resurrection of Christ. Based upon the resurrected Christ, Paul is saying that we too one day will be raised from the dead. In verse 32, Paul said, If the dead do not rise, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. That's the philosophy of the world. You better get it while you can, because ultimately when this world ends, that's it. There are a lot of folks in the world today, that's how they view life. It's all about, it's all about what they can do to bring pleasure and gratification to their life to the exclusion of spiritual values. You remember in Luke chapter 12, Jesus told that parable about the rich farmer whose ground was bringing forth an abundant harvest. And the guy said, you know what, I'm going to pull down my barns and build greater. And then I'm going to store all my goods and all my crops. And I'll say to my soul, take your ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. That is the philosophy of the world. And so if you're out here and your goal in life is to please yourself, to do as you want, to live a self-centered life, to focus on the here and now, then could I just say this, you better enjoy it while you can. Because when this world comes to an end, that's it. You will have no hope beyond this veil of tears. Do you understand that? Now you think about that for a minute. To stand before Almighty God, as Paul said, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess to God. We will all be before the judgment seat of Christ. Will it matter if I'm living in the world? It'll matter. It will matter more than we realize. It will ultimately cost us our soul. Remember what I asked a minute ago? Why are you a Christian? Do you understand what it means to be a child of God? Why are you here today? 
Now, we have a conflict. The conflict is the world and all of the elements that go along with the world. What Paul is saying is we've got to rise above the conflict and consecrate our lives to Christ. Now, that's where the rub is, really. The problem is, in many instances, we haven't consecrated our lives to the Lord. Paul said, if you've been raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. Set your mind on things above, not on things which are upon this earth. So, what does that mean? What would that entail in my life? Number one, I've got to understand my aim in life is grounded in Christ Jesus. If your life is all about the here and now, and you're out drinking and carousing and partying and doing this and doing that, I've got news for you. You need to rethink your relationship to the Lord. You need to understand that what you're focused on is the earth. It's not heaven. And don't think that you'll go to heaven if you live like that. Paul said, set your mind on things above, not on things which are on this earth. Jesus said, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, not on earth. Paul, in writing to the saints in Philippi talked about those who mind, listen to him, earthly things. They're so caught up in the world, they don't have time for spiritual things. When they come to worship, do you think they're interested in glorifying Almighty God? Do you think they're interested in focusing on the great I Am? When you come together, when we come together on the first day of the week, what's the purpose of that? Let's go back again. What are you here for? Why are you here? If you're zoned out and you're laughing and cutting up and not paying attention, let me tell you what, you're not here for the right reason. You can be on the premises and still not worship God in spirit and in truth. That's a fact. Just because you're on this building site doesn't mean that you worship God as directed by the Holy Spirit. So what about your aim? Somebody said one time, if you aim at nothing, you'll hit nothing. Are you aiming for heaven? Are you focusing on things which are above? And then there's a second thought. First, our aim. Secondly, our allegiance. Is your allegiance Jesus? Is He first in your life? Did you know that the Lord Jesus accepts nothing but first? That's it. I mean, we talk about a hierarchy, pyramid, however you want to call it. What's number one in your life? Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Putting the Lord first day in and day out. Christianity is not about me, it's about the Lord, isn't it? What was it Jesus said, if any man come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me? 
Where is your allegiance? If Jesus is first in your life, it says you're living a consecrated life. And then what about your affection? What about our affection for the Lord? Do you love God with all of your heart, soul, and mind? What was it we said a minute ago? It's a mind thing. If you love God with all of your heart, soul, and mind, if your allegiance is to Him and to Him alone, if your aim is heaven, let me tell you what, you'll be in heaven one day without question because that's where you want to go. So, where are you in the grand scheme of things? I was thinking just a minute ago, actually, while we were singing, we sing a lot about heaven. We sing a lot about the second coming of Christ. The thought occurred to me, if the trump were to sound, I would not have time to get off this podium. That's how fast it would be. One day the Lord's coming. So with that in mind, let's think thirdly of the promise to those who are believers in Christ. Listen now to what Paul said. For you died, your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears. First, the promise of Christ's return. The Lord Jesus is coming again. The Bible says that all who are alive, all who are in the graves, will see the time of Christ returns. What John said, Revelation chapter 1, every eye shall see Him. One day you will have the privilege of seeing visibly the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you ready for that day? Are you ready to stand face to face with the Lord Jesus? You're going to see Him. We've been talking about Him. We've been reading about Him. We have prayed about the Lord. We have had the opportunity to sing about the Lord. But one day, we'll stand before Him. We'll see Him, and we'll stand before Him. And then the Bible says that when the Lord returns, He will be seated upon a throne, a throne of glory, Matthew 25. Jesus said He'll come with all His holy angels. All nations will be gathered before Him. That would include us. He said He'll begin to separate them as a shepherd divides the sheep from the goats. To those on the right hand, He'll say, Well done. To those on the left hand, Depart from Me, you cursed. When Jesus comes and the promise set forth in Scripture, when Christ who is our life appears, when He appears, Will you be ready for that day? Second thought, very quickly. The promise of His coming and the promise to those who are in Christ at His coming. Listen again to what Paul said, verse 4. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Number one, we will be with the Son of God in glory. We will spend the ceaseless ages to come in the presence of God of deity, won't we? 
we will be before the throne of God forevermore. You know, it's amazing sometimes how people in the world will talk about wanting to go to heaven. And yet, they're not interested in spiritual things. They're not interested in worshiping God. They're not interested in studying the Word. They're not interested in glorifying God on earth. So here's my question. If that's the mindset of somebody, why would you want to go to heaven? I mean, really, why would you want to be in heaven? You're not interested in spiritual things here. You really think you're going to be interested in spiritual things on the other side? So we will be with the Son of God in glory, and we will be with the saints of God in glory. Paul was writing to Christians in the first century. And Paul would say, For to me to live is Christ, to die is gain, to depart and be with Christ far better. To know that one day when the Lord Jesus comes, there's going to be a reunion. Think about all the people that you have known in days gone by that are on the other side. That have gone home to be with the Lord. Don't you want to be with them one day? It was said of Abraham that when he died, he was gathered to his people. Suggesting to us that there will be a reunion on the other side. So it's a mind thing. You want to go to heaven? If you want to go to heaven, you've got to get your mind right and you've got to keep your mind right. Because as Jesus said, as he thinks in his heart, so is he. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, what would keep you back from obeying the gospel? Can you think of one valid reason why you shouldn't obey the gospel today? If you'll become a child of God, you enjoy pardon, peace, the presence of God in your life. You have the privilege of praying to God. You have the promise of heaven. Why would you... Why would you not want to live a Christian life? If you're here today and you're not faithful to the cause of Christ, what would keep you from coming back to a God in heaven who loves you, who wants you to be with Him in eternity? If you're here this morning and you're not what you ought to be as a child of God, could I encourage you to think about where you are spiritually, to put the Lord first in your life, to live for Him day in and day out, so that one day you can be with Him throughout all of eternity. Won't you come as we stand and sing?